Monogamish podcast contains content intended for mature audiences. The views expressed here are for entertainment purposes only. Please enjoy the show. Hi, Ishes. I'm Justina. And I'm Kenji. And, and we're, we're monogamish. Today we have a great guest. I've been oh, looking know. forward to meeting you. And I was so sad when I didn't think that you responded because it went into my spam folder. <laughs> and so when you reached out again, I'm like, yes, he wants to come on our oh, show. I know. I know. We're, going, we're getting into something new. Totally new. And today we have T. And Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, from a kink in a cure. A kink in the cure. Yeah. And so it's it's multiple things. First of all, he has a website that you can check out. Um, but we're going to get into his live, basically, almost vagina monologue type-esque yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> performance um, where you use your background in... Um, and your training from Goddard College and do a live performance. Correct. Mm -hmm. So let's start. Where should we start with this? Let's start with how you got into it, like back school-wise. It actually starts before school. Okay. So uh, having entered into the the kink and sex-positive community in Seattle, I was fortunate enough to connect with people in Seattle. Mm -hmm. And they had a, you might call it a sex club. Okay, But it was unlike anything that I've seen before or since, because it was really more like a community center for kinky and sex-aware adults. Okay. It was, there was no drugs, no alcohol. It's not a bar. Um, and it was 18 and over. Okay. So it was really just this inclusive environment where college-age people and people that were curious about different aspects of their sexuality could come and explore to whatever their level of comfort was. Really? They had wow. different events every night of the week, and some of them were like no nudity allowed, but so you could still come and just like have a game night and conversations in a sex positive and kink friendly environment oh, where wow. people were talking about these topics, but you didn't really have to face them yet. Okay. And then you could come to a Thursday night dance. Every Thursday night, they had like a DJed dance night where half of the dungeon was a dance floor. And then there was also play and sex happening in other parts of the space. Oh, wow. So you could just be on the dance floor and you could be dancing butt naked and know that no one was going to grope you or touch you inappropriately because they had a container set. They had dungeon monitors and social ambassadors that created a safe space so that people that wanted to come and explore being more open could do so without the fear of someone treating them inappropriately because there was oh. always someone there watching. I love that it. And, you know, magical. everybody everybody policing each other. Yeah. That's, right. that's what we talk about, you know, like, but that's not how the even just me, but, but not, sometimes you don't know what to look for always yeah. or what to say in those situations. So the fact that that place had individual people that their job was to like monitor. Yeah. And, and two sets, they had, they had a set of people that were the dungeon monitors. And so they were monitoring like the sex and the play. And okay. they're looking for people doing things that are unsafe or making sure that people aren't like walking into the backswing of the flogger or the whips. And, oh, and so oh, they're wow. watching for that. They're, they're monitoring the dungeon. And then they have another set of people that were the ambassadors that are kind of watching the social setup. Okay. They're, they're watching for your, your predatory behaviors, but also just the people who oh. don't know how to act. Yes. Because right? so, they're just in this new environment. Right. right. So there's a lot of people that they want to be there. But they don't know how to socially engage. They don't know how to ask you politely 
if you want to play or if you'd be interested in sex. You're you're sitting there naked, laid out on a couch, talking <laughs> with your friends, and they want to come up and say something, but they're they're just kind of standing there, staring at your tits, <laughs> right? And so the ambassadors, and this is a team that that I ended up connecting with. Uh, you know, ambassador would walk up and just kind of stand shoulder to shoulder with that person and say, "Hey, how you doing?" Like, you know, I just want to let you know kind of the way you're voyeuring it's kind of intrusive so oh. a, a more respectful way to do that like stand back oh or gosh. if if you want to watch this couple have sex you know sit sit over here like don't be looming and i, I would often say like you don't want to be this guy right like the creeper the, the creeper yeah. who's just like <laughs> staring people down and making them uncomfortable right. you got to be more of the james dean like just like appreciating and then and looking around and and like taking it in mm -hmm. but not there with like, your yes. energy forcing yourself into their space gosh and so we would teach people how to socially engage uh and then a lot of those people who you might start off being like oh that person's really uncomfortable and they make they make me nervous and i don't really want them in my space became valued members of the community oh, oh that's wow. amazing yeah. i was pretty that, sold on the fact that there's no alcohol there yeah. right yeah. yeah yeah i think that like you know gets everybody into a different mind space it does. well and then you numb. know that they're there because they want to be there. They're right. not just self-medicating themselves through the experiment. Right. But we were, you know, the, the concept was that, you know, we're, we're pushing the bounds of comfort and fear and sex and sexuality. Mm -hmm. So so let's do that from a place of conscious choice, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Alina Gabash, who was the executive director who, who ran the space for many, many years. She just passed away a few years ago. Um, the dear, dear partner and friend of mine, you know, really just said, own your pleasure. Right. And, oh, and if yes. you, that was her, wow. her tagline was own your pleasure. And you can't own it if you're masking it with, you know, some inebriant that says, oh, mm -hmm. I'm not responsible for my choice. I was drunk when I did that or mm -hmm. I, was, right. I was high when I did that. Like come into the space and say, I'm going to choose to to reach into this uncomfortable space to try this sexy, risque thing. And you've got a, a space that allows you to stop whenever you want to stop. You've got house safe words that everyone is listening for so that anytime someone says red or safe word, there's someone there to make hey. sure that the, everything stops. Wow. You're okay. The comfortability level right yeah. there. Wow. And the safety. Uh, yes. It's one of the things that I've always admired about the community in general. Um, I think there's a lot of misconceptions that it's not safe and it's one of the safest places that I've ever felt. Even when it comes to major events like public events, like pride, yeah. I feel safest at pride in terms of, you know, worrying about certain things happening than I do at other events that are more less sex positive mm -hmm. and um, more vanilla type events right. or the share event. Like, well, right. yes, exactly. absolutely. Yeah, share. Like, the share event like, is awesome. Like you say, like, you know, with your dressing and everything else, and it's not like inviting people to just come up and grab you or grope you or anything right. else, you know, and take it past that level. Right. Just the, the freedom of being able to be half naked or naked in a place like that and not have to worry about, and I'm not saying it's never happened. There's those rare times that somebody comes into the community or comes into a sex positive club and doesn't know the etiquette or does and just chooses to ignore mm -hmm. it. And so the, those instances do happen, but far less than you would ever happen. That would ever happen in a normal, right. A more vanilla space, vanilla club. Right. right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I get surprised when I go to, uh, you know, normie environments, right. <laughs> right? Very normal, uh, and, and I'm like, Oh, I can't actually be that vulnerable here. These people don't know how to react. Yes. Right. Either either it's going to make them uncomfortable or they're going to take it as 
an offering or an invitation for something that it's not. They mm-hmm. don't know how to respect, you know, a scene or a space, you know. It, right. And and it's it's a this reminder that I've been in this bubble of, yes. of consent and uh, you know, communication that has to happen. You have to have this open level of communication to create that kind of safe space. Mm-hmm. And when that's not there, it's not safe. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Exactly. The normie. I love that. <laughs> I love how you put it. <laughs> have you ever been to a place like that anywhere else? Um, you know, there there are spaces that, that continue to try to do similar things. Um, you know, so many of the kind of swinger environments and kink environments that they're they're often businesses. Yes. Mm-hmm. And as a business, it's being run by a person, uh, you know, or, or, you know, maybe a, a couple and their intention is to make money. And because of that, like the, the heart of it ends up being different. It, uh, yes. You know, it's owned I by a dominatrix agree. or it's owned by this swinger couple or whatever. And, and they're, they're selling alcohol or they, they've got their vending, you know, thing. Mm. And it, it just has a different feel when, when you bring that level of capitalism into it, it changes what the purpose is and the great thing about the center uh for sex positive culture in seattle is that it was a non-profit you know 501c3 wow. run by a, a board of volunteers um and that that energy of being a community center meant that everyone had a voice in how the culture continued to evolve oh, oh I that's love amazing it. i love it is it still open uh, yeah, it, it it's changed from what it was when I was there. So the the location that we were in changed. Uh, they moved down to uh, Pioneer Square, which is a, a far more uh, populated area. We were okay. in a, a kind of a deserted cinder block building underneath a freeway overpass, as I talked always, about in my always, house, right? yeah. And uh, gosh, and and now that it's more centered in Seattle, it the the space doesn't have the the same feel, but the the community is still there. It's very strong. And the the arts side of the organization, the Foundation for Sex Positive Culture, still runs the uh, Seattle Erotics Arts Festival, which is one of the most amazing collections of international erotic art that happens oh. every year that you'll ever see. I highly recommend oh going out there in the spring and checking them out. What they're doing continues to just push the bounds of what we see in sexual expression through art. Is it is it like a, a multi day event or something yeah, like that? It, it or runs over a weekend. Oh um, wow! And they have their big night and they have live performances. Uh, I performed a kink in the cure there a few years ago. Did you? Uh, yeah, That's so awesome. it was great to bring this work that started with them. You know, to to bring it back around. Like oh man, what was full circle. Is that while I was there, I was playing with people, um, and I I would find that you know some of my partners were using kink as a catharsis to deal with their their anxiety or previous mm-hmm. sexual assault and trauma and that this was a place at which they could let go of their sexual shame that society imposed on them mm-hmm. for for liking a certain thing or you know being shamed as a kid for being sexual in certain ways and and this was a place in which it was celebrated and there there were certain scenes that I I had with people where you could see them un unlocking and processing through a serious trauma man it's just like that that wall that yeah. just drops with them you know and you can yeah like you said you could see it and you're like oh wow this i love it now now, now they're opening up more. exactly mm-hmm. and, and this this phrase was being said in the community it was you know said to me earlier on and i just kept hearing it repeat that you know kink is not therapy 
but it can be therapeutic. Yes. Yes. I was like, yes. okay, that, that's cool. I, like, it, it's not a replacement for therapy. But the question came up for me, like, what if we were using it intentionally? What if we put more intention into using kink as a therapeutic tool so that people that were there, that they didn't just have to try to play with a bunch of people until they had a therapeutic experience, but someone was genuinely tailoring their experience to be therapeutic, to mm -hmm. help them process a thing, uh, as opposed to this randomness where people would be like, oh, okay, I'm hoping I get that. Yes. But I'm going to play with you. Your desires may not actually be to help me with a thing. I might be playing with you because you're really good at rope. Yes. Right. I see. I've seen you do a bunch of rope stuff, and I want to do that. And I'm hoping I'm going to get the catharsis that I want out of that play. But that's not really where your head's at. You're no. just good at rope. Yes. Right. Yeah. And I so, just want to do the scene. Right. You so know. I'm. So I'm in it, hoping that while in that thing, it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And maybe it does, and maybe it doesn't. And you see, you see that with a lot of people. They'll they'll find someone that's good at a thing, and they go to play with them. And they're not actually getting what they want out of it. Sure, mm -hmm. it might be fun. They might be having a good time with it, but it's not actually getting them to the place they want to go. Exactly. And I, I wanted to kind of narrow that focus and say, what if I, and this is where I kind of adopted the role as a service top. Right? Yes. Like, I, 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 my desire with you is to give you the exact experience you want. Right? It's not about me. I'm going to put never... my desires to the side and say, what do you want in this experience? Where are you trying to get to? And let's tailor an experience that helps you get there. Wow. That helps you get to the subspace, that helps you overcome the trauma, that helps you connect to whatever it is that you're trying to do. Let's build that and let you have it. And that, that then gives you the power back of knowing that you can ask for what you want, receive it, and be celebrated in doing this scary sexual thing yes. that, that, no, that maybe no one else has ever said it's okay to do. Right. How do you design that experience? Well, you know, it's, it's very different based on the person. Oh, right? yeah, and, absolutely. And Everybody's like, different. You know, I had uh, one client who really all they needed to know was that they're like they they had been called a, a you know, a, a bad girl often by their father. Mm -hmm. um, and and they they had this like ongoing narrative in their head that they needed to be a good girl. And 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 that. But they, the things that they wanted to do were bad. Yes. Yes. Right? And oh, so, yeah. Like, what, if, if the things I want to do are considered bad and I'm supposed to be a good girl and I've always been told that I'm a bad girl, how do you create an experience where they're doing the things they want to do and they're being called a good girl? Or bad girl is being said from... A, 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 like an erotic and beautiful place. Like, oh my like, God, you're like such a, a bad girl. Like a loving place. Right. right. Yes. I, I love your bad girl. Right. <laughs> right. And, and, and just like being in that with them and, and making the eye contact and being there with them and, and having listened, like really listened to what it is you want to be happening physically and sexually and emotionally and being able to create that while then communicating with you and saying the things you want to hear. So it's it's you know it's it's an acting job. It's, yes, it it's is. Stepping into a role of saying, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna be this person that you need me to be, and say the things that you need to be heard. I'm not gonna try to just make it my own. I don't need to have artistic creation here. You've said I need to hear these things, so I will say those things. Do a lot of people come to you having a very clear idea of what they want? No, most of them don't know. They're, okay. They're, they just know that 
they they're they're not connecting as intimately with their partners as they want they have blocks they're they're not quite sure and so a lot of it is you know for uh, a number of my clients it's it's it starts off as a, a talk therapy session mm-hmm. right yeah so we're not going straight into play you know <laughs> just and, just just like out yeah out, yeah just you know anywhere and sometimes it doesn't even get to play at all You're right sometimes some of my clients don't need me to play with them we don't need right. to be in any sort of sexual or kink situation they just need a space to be able to honestly own their pleasure mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. say the things that they want and not be shamed for it like wow. right. normalize their their kinks their sexual desires and, and let them know it's okay they're not alone there's nothing wrong with them it doesn't mean anything about them we take away we just start stripping away all of that shame the the religious shame, the oh, gosh. familial shame, like whatever it was that was laid on them, and just dispel it, just oh, take man. it away. And then at that point, some people then want, like, like, oh, I don't have anyone else that's safe for me to actually explore this with. So then we'll explore that. And sometimes it's like, oh, okay, now I feel comfortable telling my partner about that. And so you know, so then I will take my mediation background. So I've got a you know, I'm a certified conflict mediator. So sometimes I'll meet with the couple and just kind of help them hear each other. Because sometimes then communicating that desire to your partner is then scary. Right. Oh, yes. Because you've shared it with me and I've made a safe space for you to share it. But thus far, I'm the only person that has not shamed you or made you feel bad or gone like, oh, you like that? Right. Like, well, why would you like that? Why would you want me to do that to you? Right. And, it's, and people aren't meaning to shame, but they've got their own cultural shame. Mm-hmm. And so their response is, you want me to hit you? Like, that's fucked up. Right. And, and, right. and they, they, they don't know how to do that. And so I, I'll help people learn how to talk about that. You can see a little bit of that in um, How to Build a Sex Room. I don't know if you had a chance to, to watch that or not, but it, right. uh, in yes. the first episode oh, of How yes. to Build a Sex Room, you know, we, we helped this couple. And I, I really wish more of the material made it into the episode because what we did with that couple was this process, right, of helping him hear her desires and help normalize it and help him understand that her desire to ha- be flogged, to be tied up, wasn't asking him to do something immoral. It was, you know, mm. it was asking him to help her meet her needs. Right. You know, I, I said, you know, the, the desire to be flogged is no different than the desire for you to go to the gym and pump iron until your body hurts. Mm-hmm. Right. Like we, I compare this in, in a kink in the cure. Like we, we regularly do things to ourselves. We we write until like our fingers are bleeding, right? You see cooks who just pour their emotions into their food to create fabulous dishes, right? And we know that mm. that passion and 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 excellence comes from people pushing themselves beyond what normal limits might be in order to create something magical. Mm. Right. But if what you need is someone to help you with that, if if I want to be flogged. And I want to just sit there in my endurance and go until I can't take any more and know where that limit is. I need someone to help me with that. Mm-hmm. Right? Otherwise, we call it self-harm. Now, I don't want to shame self-harm either because some people have found that path for themselves and they, they healthily engage in a, a level of self-flagellation or self-harm to, to find that endurance point. But I don't think that's any different than getting in the gym or, or you know, running you know, yeah. marathons where you're right. just killing your body you're just taking it to its absolute limit in kink you're asking your partner to take part in that to be a partner with you and say help me get there Mm. right and so that's what was really like behind the scenes of that first episode was us like helping this couple like be able to communicate to each other so she could say to him 
this is what I want to need. And me kind of helping him get through his shame about, like, oh, you don't hit women and I shouldn't hit my partner. It's like, this isn't, this is, this is deep tissue massage. You're just using a flogger. Mm. This right. Is, right. Mm-hmm. This is, this is you just helping them de-shame and get to have an experience they want to have consensually. Yes. Like they have asked for it. You're doing it. If they want to stop, you're going to stop. Like all of those things are in place. Yes. Let yourself give that to them. And, and thus ended up with what you saw in the episode. Wow. Right. Do you uh do you run across a lot of clients who are scared to tell their partners what they're missing or something like that? Oh, do you, yeah. Really? Yeah. Really? Because people are people have been shamed their entire life. I mean society still today. Like, oh yeah. You know, like you, you can't be queer or trans without having experienced a, a heavily amount heavy amount of societal shame for mm-hmm. being other than normal. Yes. Right. right. Yes. Whatever we want to yeah. call them. Yeah. Right. Whatever normal whatever is. Whatever normal is. There is no normal. <laughs> there just, is no normal. It's just a myth. I would imagine it's a natural insecurity. Like personally, I would be like, oh, what if I tell him this and he looks differently at me? Yeah. He doesn't view me in the same light mm-hmm. because I shared something that maybe isn't everybody's Does, cup of tea. Yeah. <laughs> right. Doesn't vibe with what I'm, you know, grew up with or right. whatever, you know? Yeah. Right. One of the best sayings that we hear in the lifestyle is don't yuck somebody else's yum. Don't yuck somebody else's yum. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's that it goes that same way where, you know, I wouldn't ever want to do that to him, but sometimes you hear things and it's, you have to take a step back and think, okay, well, maybe I'm not into that, but they're, they might think the same thing about my kinks, but they're willing to share it with me and we're willing to, ex- so I'm willing to explore it with them. And so it's something that I think um, when you're new in a relationship might be a little bit harder, but as you guys grow and you have a foundation and there's respect and there's trust and there's good communication, it's something that gets easier to talk about. Mm-hmm. Hopefully. Yes. Yeah. And so I love that you help couples oh, yeah. through that as well, not just singles. And morsums. Right. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. And Polycules oh yeah. And everything like that. Yeah. You mentioned so, that you were I'm sorry. No, go, ahead. go ahead. I was saying, you mentioned that you were in a polycule. Yeah. How many people in your polycule? Oh, I don't know how to define that. It, Cuz it, it's it's people you know, I'm a comet. Come in, people come out. Yeah, I, and I'm mm-hmm. a comet. I I I travel around a lot, you know, in the poly vernacular, a comet is someone who's, you know, not mm-hmm. necessarily tied to a you're familiar with comet. Yes. I don't need to explain that yes. to you. Right. So, but but our guests such, are not familiar. So right. you can, yeah. You can absolutely explain it. Yeah. So, so your for me, being a comet is that, you know, and you know, I'll go back. I, I like to talk about relationships in this sense of orbital dynamics. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I like using celestial bodies as a relationship to like how we are in the universe and that people have a certain amount of gravity. Mm-hmm. They oh, pull I love each other that. Towards, I like right? that a lot. <laughs> Me too. And, and you know, all of the narratives that we have about relationship often say, right, oh, you're, you're my sun or my moon, right? And, and I, I, I want to be in your orbit, right? And people want to mm-hmm. be close to each other. And for some people, that is a really tight orbit. And they're pulled together and they orbit each other and other people orbit around them. And they're a couple. Mm-hmm. And, and others, you know, are multiple moons, right? You, you have yes. a polycule that are multiple moons in close orbit around each other. And I'm a comet. Right, I move through systems. So there are couples that I'm close to. There are polycules that I have regular orbits with. But I then leave, and I orbit other places. I have partners, you know, all over the world. That you know, when I'm there, I'm I'm present with. And, That's and, right. And we're together. Mm-hmm. And and when I'm not, I'm not there. Right? Yeah. We, we Facebook chat. We have messages, but I I don't. Um, I'm, I'm not trying to follow a relationship escalator. 
with those people and 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 turn that into something more it's just it exists when it exists when we're together and wow and some of my partners are good with that and and we have had you know 10 15 year relationships where when i'm present we're we're really close and and we're in it and they're happy to have me there and they know that i'm gonna leave and then i will be back when my (laughs) orbit brings me back around okay i love it i love it so what are the other ways that you identify then Oh, um, identity is so weird. Right? Identity is so weird. It's like and a it's, fingerprint. It's malleable. It's, it's different than a fingerprint. Because okay. it, for me, um, my identity is, has definitely changed over my life as I've discovered new parts of myself. Oh, yes, um, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I identify as poly. Uh, I identify as a comet. I identify as, a, as a, a switch, as a service, whatever. I used to call it a service top, but it's really not even topping because... As a service, I, I and with some of my clients, what they need is someone who can submit to them, who can who can be the the receiver of things and and put them in a place where they have the power and they're calling the shots. And so, like being submissive in that way is is you know very comfortable for me. And I I like being a puppy, right? So okay. in, in my own kinks, I'm 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 a pup, and I I like my head scratched. And you know I don't I don't do the the mask leather thing that a lot of leather pups do. Okay. I consider myself a leather pup, but like you know, I have, I have dog tags and I've got a collar and, and I, I like to be in puppy mode where I could just get to sit at somebody's feet and relax and feel safe. Yes. Okay. You know yes. I mean? Um, and I, you know, I, I used to identify as bi, but then I had a lot of trans partners. Okay. So I'm not bi because bi is this binary thing. So, so where does that put me? Right. Right. And yeah. when I was younger, I was like, oh, you, you needed to be gay or straight. Right. Cause I can't, I came out in the nineties in the Bay area. Oh, wow. Right? So like, wow. It's like, and, and I've known I was queer since I was very young, since elementary school. Really? Um, but growing up in Northern California, it was not a safe space. To identify as queer, right? Right. Eighties in Northern California, like no, 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 no. Right. Tell people those things. That's a good way to, you know, end up dead or ditch or beat up or you know. Right. And so, you keep that in, but it it was still part of my evolving identity. Mm -hmm. So now I identify as you know omnisexual or pansexual, and it's not bi. It's you know pan. It's trisexual i'll try anything (laughs) (laughs) okay i love it i hate how everybody tries to like put you put people in a box right you know and it shouldn't be like that because like you said there's you know you're always evolving and you know you're finding new things about you every all the time and different sexuality and whatnot Mm -hmm. and so it's just open everything should just be open you know and so like one of the things that really helped open my eyes to it is my own racial identity really because so i was adopted oh okay. okay and I, I was the darkest person I knew until middle school. Really? Because right? oh, growing okay. up in like yeah. mountain oh, town, yes. Northern California, exactly. gold rush country, like there weren't a lot of people of color. Yeah. We, okay. yeah, we, we have some family from up that way. And yeah. Right. We can definitely know. And, we definitely understand that. And, you know, my, my family was not, you know, openly, overtly prejudiced, racist towards me. Um, but it still existed in our culture, right? There's racist jokes all around. And so, and, and it's easy to notice that I'm not as white as everyone else. Mm -hmm. And, and I was told that I was native American and German and I had this identity, but then 23 and me comes out and all this stuff. And and then I get tested and I, oh, nope, not German or native American. At first, very early in the science, it's like, oh, you're like West African and, Northern European, right? 
Really? Okay. So after 30 years of carrying around the identity of being Apache in German. Right. And like, that's yeah. how I identify. They're told, no, that's not you. Wow. You're, you're West African, Iberian, Northern European. I was like, oh, what a, what a head fuck. Right. Right. right? And then, then a few years later, they're like, okay, now we've evolved our science. Right. Right. We've, we've, we've learned more. You're actually Puerto Rican. The, the Iberian, whatever, would have been like thousands of years ago. But yeah. for more immediate, like, grand, you know, great-great-grandparent heritage is Puerto Rican and Swiss. And so now I'm like, okay, so what? Puerto Rican and Swiss. Wow. And so how do you, how do you, identity is very fluid. Right. right? Like, just like sexuality. Just like sexuality. Like, it, it's really contextual on the culture we were raised in and the information we're given. And sometimes that information is just wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. Sometimes that information is misleading. Um and what it means to be Puerto Rican for me now, having never been to Puerto Rico and not grown up with any Puerto Rican heritage, is different than someone who's known that they're Puerto Rican since birth and has been connected to that culture. Right. right? I can still identify in that way because I know I have a genetic connection to it, but I don't have any cultural knowledge of it. And I think that we see the same thing in sex and sexuality is that people who were never given an opportunity to see themselves as anything other than straight heterosexual, right? That, that, that there is no option, right? Mm-hmm. Especially if you come in a religious community where oh like, you know, we've got all laws in all these states now where you can't even talk about being gay. Right. Right. right? So how is someone who is struggling to, to, with their own identity, like they know that they're not attracted to the people they're supposed to be attracted to and no one is telling them that there's another option. Right. They don't get to see it. They're not allowed to talk about it. Like there's laws against even sharing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's where like the, the underlying philosophy behind A Kink and the Cure is really about we need to be able to talk about these things and put them on the table and share what's possible. Mm-hmm. Because what's possible in sex and sexuality is vast. Right. You right. look around through cultures around the world and every culture has approached it differently. You've got the Kama Sutra, you've got your you know, you've got <laughs> you got your all of the you got one a book I just finished reading, uh, Existential Kink, right? Mm-hmm. Just kind of talking about the ways in which we think about our own desires and turning that into personal motivation and helping us get past things like all of these different ways. Um, I really love sex at dawn. Yes. Like yes. The ways in which that talks about like, Oh, even our theory of evolution that we've, you know, followed for generations now since Darwin was really puritanical and, you know, and he was, he was sexually repressed. So of course there's no conversation about anything outside of, monogamous sexuality as a as a branching point for evolution Mm -hmm. because that wasn't always the case like it's very unlikely that monogamy was the way in tribal cultures of early humans so let's break that break that down yes right oh wow that's what we're trying to do i know yes every (laughs) show show. (laughs) every show one show at a time and so having somebody on like you that's had a background like that um you even you even studied this throughout Goddard, correct? Yeah. So it was after meeting with uh, or ha- having a number of play partners that clearly had serious breakthroughs in in their sexuality through scenes, and you know I, I talk about it in the play where I had one partner who came up and asked me to rape them. Yes. Right. Yes. And and we weren't really partners yet. She was just someone who had seen me play, and we were kind of friends. And 
she thought that I was a person, a safe person to help her process through her rape. And she wanted to recreate that mm -hmm. and gain her own power back by choosing to go through the same experience again so that it wasn't, so that when her memory visited those experiences, it wasn't just the traumatic experiences, but that she also had this new set of experiences that were her choice. She wanted and to I own thought, that power. Yeah, own that pleasure. Yes, own and, the pleasure. I'm sorry. Yes, and, absolutely. And I thought it was absolutely fantastic. And I knew people at the time who had done, you know, rape recreations or, you know, helping people fulfill rape fantasies and like really helping with de-shaming that because mm -hmm. people do have fantasies about rape on either side of it. And, and they would like to experience it, but in a consensual space where you're, where, you know, where yes. this has been negotiated and we both know we're going into this and at any time you can pull the ripcord and stop it. Yes. But, but if not, we're going to go through with this very edgy, scary thing. Oh man. Right. And and I wanted to engage that with her, but if she was trying to do it from an intentional place of reprogramming this trauma, I was like, I need to get more education first. Yes. Right. I, I don't want like... I don't want to just lean on my ego and say, Oh wait, I can I can create I can this scene this. for you. <laughs> but I might just re traumatize. Right. right. And that that was a thing that, you know, I, I kinda learned the hard way that there were partners that I ended up going into scenes with um and and did things that that I thought were you know, and this is in my, my 20s at the time in, in the scene, I, I thought we were engaging in, in consensual play around this, you know, this thing that they said they wanted to do. And yet, because I wasn't trauma-informed, I wasn't aware in the ways in which I was actually re-traumatizing them. Oh, man, that's got to be hard. And it was a really hard thing to face. Yeah. Like, like I, I spent a lot of time in therapy. <laughs> a lot of time in therapy. Like just recognizing that, like you know, we do the best that we can with the tools that we have, and, right. and I, I can't dwell on the fact that I made mistakes when I was younger. Mm -hmm. I made mistakes when I was learning this material, writing a kink in the cure. Right, it, it it came from a place of experimentation, and when you're a pioneer, when you're trying to do things that haven't been done before, there's no guidebook for it. No, right. And that's the things with a lot of kink. There, we we run into a lot of people that have consent issues in the kink community, right? They'll they'll say you violated my consent during this scene, and and I think a lot of the time, and not all the time, I don't I don't want to uh, absolve the people who are generally genuinely being predatory and taking things from people that aren't asked for, right? But when you're engaging in this risque of a dance, when you're pushing up against boundaries that neither of you know quite where they're going to be. And we do something that oversteps your boundaries. It's an injury, right? I'm, I'm not, tr I'm not mm -hmm. intending to cause you harm. I did cause you harm. I need to own that and, and be able to communicate about that. That, that moment of harm is, you know, I, in, uh, I use dance as a metaphor. Like we're, we're trying to do a dance that no one's ever done before. You've never danced these steps. You're asking me to dance steps with you and I kick you in the shins. I'm sorry. It wasn't my intention to kick you in the shins. I would like to reestablish trust and learn from this mistake and move on. Right. Whereas a lot of people are like, ah, they kicked me in the shins. They're a terrible dance partner. Don't dance with them. Done. That, that person kicked me in the shins when we were dancing. Right. That mm -hmm. person that person hurt me. Mm -hmm. Yes. The hurt happened. It, it, but where was the intent? Yes. Both before yes. and after. Yeah. Um, I, th I think one big thing that we've uh, realized in the community Recently, there was um, drama surrounding somebody that was in the kink community and had already had this type of experience in the swinger community and had, you know, crossed boundaries. 
And I think the way that you behave after something like that is incredibly telling. Yes. If you can't own it and come out and say, you know what? I really was a bad person. I really messed up. I, you know, I want to grow. I want to learn from this. Then I don't think that you should be accepted back into any community. If right. You can't stand up and hold own yourself it. accountable. Own right, it. right. And so I think that's that's it's huge that you were doing that here and in a public space where people are going to watch this and and maybe still have some. Hope, hopefully, they've gotten over that or they've or been able to move past it. But it, I'm sure, means a lot to them to hear that. I hope so. Uh, I I know that there are are people I that don't talk to me anymore because mm-hmm. of transgressions that happened. Um, and the best I can do is give them the space and respect their boundary that they don't want to talk about it. Right. Right. And, mm-hmm. and yet it doesn't prevent me from wanting to continue to do the work to learn about myself so that I can be a better person. Right. right. Mm. I, I don't want to label myself as a bad person because I did things that unintentionally caused harm. It's kind of like mm-hmm. the, the whole conversation in The Good Place. You ever watch right. the, the, oh, the show? Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> It's really hard when there are so many unintended consequences for th- things that we do. We take actions with the best of intent, mm-hmm. right. and they mm-hmm. have unintended negative consequences, and we have to deal with that. And dealing with it is not something we really teach in our culture. We break up, mm-hmm. right? It's one right. of the things I really you know, talk about against in my poly conversations. Is like, why are you breaking up? Is there a way to change your relationship instead of break up? Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now you, I know you're familiar with this conversation. Like, like, Absolutely. Like, why, why, why does it have to be a full division and 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 disconnect forever? Because this thing didn't work. Like, let's right. modify the relationship. Let's own what doesn't work. And if there's not a way for us to stay in relationship, then we may change our relationship so we're not as close. Because I can't. Maybe I can't trust you right now, or I can't trust myself. You know, I recently went through an uncoupling experience with one of my partners. Right? Oh, wow. Right. Because I knew that I wasn't showing up as the partner I wanted to be. Oh, so it came from your spot. Yeah. Like, okay. I, and it's like, I, I love this person. I actually want to be in relationship with them. But I know that I'm, I, I had too much trauma and, you know, everything post the pandemic. And, and I had a lot of stuff going on in my life. It's like... I can't show up to be the person I want to be. I, I couldn't show up in a kink's perspective. I, you know, there were these uh, dynamics that we had established as, a, you know, daddy little dynamics. Mm-hmm. So like, I, can't, I can't show up and be a good daddy right now. I, I don't even feel good about myself. I have to go figure that out. And that doesn't mean I want to break up and not be in relationship, but it means I need to take space to figure this out. So let's uncouple for a while. And it doesn't mean break up and not see each other. I would mm-hmm. still like you in my life. And trying to be in that kind of relationship, I, I, don't, I don't have what you need. I think so many people need to hear that. I do too. Because, you know, like um, just in this community, it's like, oh, well, we're not getting what we want from each other. So, you know, good for you. You know, like I hope you have a good life, but we'll see you later. And I think that as long as people can like take that and um, just – I don't know, change it in their mind to go, you know what? Like, just because we're not getting this right now doesn't mean that we can't have this. And so let's, you know, let's take a step back. Let's let's talk about it some more and let's see where we're actually coming from with that, you know, because. And what I actually took from that is the fact that you understand that your relationship with yourself needed work. Mm-hmm. That's huge. Because I think a lot of times people are scared to be alone. 
or they just are scared to let go when they know that they aren't showing up and they aren't, you know, meeting that person's needs or filling the role that they agreed to. And so the fact that they, that you knew that I need to work on myself, I think that's huge because you can't have good relationships if your relationship with yourself isn't good. Mm -hmm. And, and so I think that, and even coming from a therapist, this can happen from anybody. And so I think that's huge too, Mm -hmm. just knowing that, you know, I'm not, I'm not too good for this to happen, that, that that allows that you allowed yourself that space to heal and to work on what you needed to work on so that you could show up in a relationship. Thanks. That's huge. Too many people put the blame on somebody else. A hundred percent. And not look in the mirror. A hundred percent. A lot of times when we run into couples where, where we, it's, I guess the lens from the outside is so much clearer though as well. Cause when you're not in the thick of it, some, sometimes it's really hard to see when you're right mm-hmm. next to somebody and there's heavy emotions involved and, you know, history that you don't want to let go. It's, it's something that can be really easy to see for somebody that's outside and you're trying to explain to that person like, oh, you know, if you just made this slight little change within yourself, then that would change how he reacts mm-hmm. or how that or how she right. reacts. And so I think that, you know, a lot of times when there's issues within a relationship, it's that somebody is having issues. They're not living their truth. Right. They're, mm-hmm. they're having issues within themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. It is. So thank you for sharing that with us. But then that that turned into a career for you where now you're able to therapeutically go through both your shows, through one-on-one coaching, through Mm -hmm. counseling. It sounds like you do events as well. I have. Everything has been kind of on hiatus for a while. Okay. Um, so I, I did the the last performance, the, the one that I, I shared with you at Goddard College in 2019. Love okay. it, too. Love it. I'm yeah. glad. Yeah, man, I've watched it twice. <laughs> I love it. Thank you. Um, and the 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 pandemic, I, I had a, a lot of trauma coming through the pandemic and, and a lot of places where I needed to own, right? where, where, oh, really? where things were brought up to me that I was not acting in my best integrity, where, where there were places really? in which... I felt like I was um, engaging in behaviors that were de-shaming de- sexuality, but were in fact re-traumatizing some people in my life. Oh wow! And and you know the the work I've done with it really came down to you know as far as I can see that there was just miscommunication at a certain point that never got resolved, and that because that miscommunication continued, <sighs> it it turned into this place where I didn't know that you felt this way, and and I kept having this conversation that you didn't want to have. Mm. And I thought we were having a different conversation than mm-hmm. you did, right? So our realities were misaligned. Um, and, and that kind of stopped everything because I didn't feel like I could engage in this work with any kind of integrity if that was there and I was unaware of it, right? Because if, right. if I'm, if I'm de- deceiving myself, right? self-delusion is a thing we definitely need to be aware of, right? Like right. <laughs> we lie to ourselves about where we're at and what we're doing because we want to make it okay. So... I, I really wanted to just take a step back from everything. And, and so I stopped performing. I stopped seeing all but one of my clients who um, uh, kind of heard the whole story and was like, no, I, th- I think we're, we're good. Like they, they wanted to continue t- working together. Um, and so it's been kind of on hold for a while. And I was just recently at a place where I feel like, okay, I've, I've done enough of the therapy. I've done a lot of the work. I've, I've really kind of examined my actions and, and where I was in this to know that 
I can I can re-engage this. And it, it was just beautiful timing that you reached out, like right as a place where I was like, oh, wonderful. I think I need to start rewriting this because the the magic of, for me of what A Kink in the Cure has been is that it has evolved. Mm-hmm. Like if I show you old recordings, you would see a different show. Every show really? that has been performed has been a little bit different because the science continues to change, right? This is yeah. this is all of this knowledge that we're talking about with the evolution of sexual awareness it's so new because we've been so repressed in this country for so long right mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. every time i do a show i got to go back and reread what's the current science and where's where's dialectical behavioral therapy at and what new schools of thought exist in the therapeutic communities to help us inform that um right you know because right now you've got sexological body workers that are doing this work that that at the time when I wrote this, didn't exist. Oh, man. So Just a couple of years. What, what do they know? What, what has been their new knowledge? So in, in my, my hopes to bring this show forward and to continue this message, because people continue to say, this is a message that needs to be heard, that they want this out there, that they would like it to be something they could send their friends to see and whatnot. I, I completely agree. And I, I feel like it's within my integrity to, to make sure that what's being presented is not outdated knowledge. I don't want to be presenting something that's based on you know, me going to school back in 2011 yeah. right. and, and, and writing this material and just trying to make money off of it. Right? I'm not that type of capitalist. For me, the work is really what's important. So uh, it's been on hold. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. And it is amazing how the science is changing and how the access to science is changing. Right. Because when I heard, heard your story about recreating the rape, it actually reminded me of Andrew Huberman and how he told a story about... Um, surviving a shark attack and then getting in the water and diving again the next day. Yeah. And that, and he was doing that to rewire his brain to help him over the trauma. And so when I listened to a kink in the cure, a big reason why, and when I found your website and heard about what you did and everything like that, um, it spoke to me personally. I mean, there's a part in your story where they, um, you're, you're, I believe speaking on behalf of a female client of yours and she says, I don't believe that I'm submissive because I was abused. However, I could be, I could have been abused because I was submissive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that like gave me goosebumps. It spoke to me because I went through that trauma as a child mm-hmm. and I was always the pleasing, like the older child, let me take care of everything. Yes, mom. Yes, dad. I'll take care of this. I'll take care of that. And so I feel like that submissiveness might have um, allowed, you know, my predator <laughs> yeah. to feel like I was going to just be okay with it and right. that I would never speak up. And I didn't for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. And then when I finally got to that spot, when, you know, it was years later and I, I, I realized that this wasn't okay. And I spoke up, he did everything that he could to just silence me. Right. And so when I heard that, I thought, wow, that spoke to me. And that's, I think what has like I've gotten over that and worked through that trauma, but it has de- developed into a kink for me. Right. And I think just and knowing that and acknowledging that sometimes what becomes part of us didn't start with a pretty picture. Right. But that's okay. It doesn't make it any less part of who you are. And that's okay. You know, I'm okay with that. It's, I'm so it's glad part that, that spoke to you. Yes. yes. And so I loved it. And and we watched it, um, like he yes. said, twice. <laughs> yeah. Because I just didn't want to, I wanted to make sure that I didn't miss any parts of the, you know, of it that also, um, would speak to me, but you know, there's, it's a hard thing. I think for us, the very last, um, persona that you, um, talk about, that's one of your clients 
who has age. I, I'm not sure what the exact um, terminology, kink, terminology is. is for it, but basically the age, he's a, play. age play, the age play. He's yeah. attracted to younger girls. And it's such a thing that's so prevalent in our society right yeah. now with conspiracy theories and Pizzagate and all those things that it's something that's at the forefront of a lot of people's brains. And I think the whole world wants to protect children, but you do have those instances where somebody feels like that shame for something that they really can't control that shame I can relate to. Right. And mm-hmm. so as hard as it was for me to listen to something like that, cause you don't want to, you know, you want to believe that people like that don't exist. I know they exist right. and you don't want to yuck their yum because you know that they probably, they could have gone through that some sort of trauma that caused this to be a kink now for them. Mm-hmm. And, and so the fact that you help people deal with that and that there's safe routes to go, so that the children are both still protected, but that person is feeling heard and seen and getting their needs met is incredible. I mean, you know, it's 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 hard work, I imagine. I know. And it takes a lot from you emotionally. Um, and so the fact that you can speak freely about that and like you said, a lot of people just learn from just watching the show without even having to go to therapy right. for, with you. Mm-hmm. They something speaks with them or resonates with them, or they realize what they need to do to be able to work through that trauma. And that was part of the the source material of the show. What you know, I, I followed Eve Ensler's kind of model in that I, I interviewed, I did an online survey and I interviewed people all across the country, mm-hmm. um, and I did live interviews, recorded interviews, uh, virtual interviews, um, where in which people I, I just asked one question: just tell me about your experience with kink and BDSM. Mm-hmm. I just leave it wide open. I'm not trying to guide you into whether you're positive or whether you're negative. I just wanted it wide open. And, and people would then tell me their stories. And then I took all the stories that had similarities and just kind of put them into groups and then took their stories apart and then wrote what I could would call a composite monologue mm-hmm. of, okay, this is submissive men, you know, that, that were in relationships with dominant women or in you know, let me tell their story. Let me tell a story about people who were, you know, in uh, religious, you know, came from religious institutions, had religious shame. And and so, like, what are these blocks that had? Um, And there were a few stories that actually just centered on one person's narrative with a few other people's stories in there. And and those two were the one you're speaking about, the the daddy story. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the the woman who was uh, in a institution that that was um, abused by the medical institution that she yes. was put in because she was disabled. Yes. Right. Yes. And so those those two narratives had like one primary storyteller that shared their story with me, with a little bit of some other people's stories mixed in. And the the daddy story didn't make it into the work until years after I first published it. Really. Um, like I, I didn't feel like I knew how to write it without like, like it, it was too much for the audience at the time. I didn't feel like people were ready for it. And so it wasn't until almost 10 years later that I was like, okay, I think I've, I've done enough work on myself. I've owned my own daddiness <laughs> and my own like experience in this play to be able to write that story, you know, and, and, and help share what that perspective might be. And it's not mine, right? Like each of these stories, there, there are a few stories in there that are uh, told from my own experience as well. Okay. But most of them are 
other people's stories that right. I then wrote. But as the narrator, people will sometimes say, oh, like you had all these experiences. No, no, no. Like right. th this daddy experience was something that someone else shared to me that was so raw and so vulnerable. And I was like, oh my God, I can't believe this guy shared this with me. Right? And, That's what we talked about. It. Right. It's like, holy crap, did did you experience all these? Or like, how did how did that come <laughs> about? You know? And it's just like- Well, it takes another level of, of comfortability yeah. to be able to share something like that. I mean, I think, I don't think that I shared that with you. Oh, it's my trauma or abuse for probably years. years into our relationship. Multiple years. Um, because you feel some sort of way about it. Shame. Yeah. You feel broken. There's there's all these emotions attached to it. And even though you feel like it happened years ago, you can still feel that, those emotions if you hadn't worked through them. Oh, and man. I, and, I remember the first time you like brought that up and it was just like it was like it was brand new. Right. So raw and real, you know, and you cried right there. And I was like, wow. You, right. You haven't experienced this in 30 years. Right. You know, and, and it, wow. And you think that you've worked through it, but every time you talk about it again, you might feel a different thing or remember a different thing or, you know, things come up. And so it takes a different lev level of comfortability. Yeah. And even when it's somebody that's in a position where I'm seeking your advice as a professional, like I still would feel like I'd have to have a couple of conversations with you before I felt comfortable saying something like that at that time. Yeah. Because I wasn't. I didn't even know how to explain it without feeling broken or yeah. or or being very emotional mm -hmm. when I would talk about it. And so it's it's amazing that you've been able to do this work and help these people. Like I said, <laughs> I know I've said it multiple times through this show, um, but it's it's a space that's very new. And I think that people work through trauma in all different ways. Um, sometimes it's talking about it. Sometimes it's acting it out in a scene or recreating it. Um, Sometimes it's it's psychedelics, <laughs> right? I mean, mm -hmm. there's so many different routes that people can take, and there's not one that works um, better than the other. But you can use them. You know, some some people might get more benefit out of one or or the other, right? And so having those options and being able to work through it is it's huge. Well, and and one of the things that I think is so important is the the acknowledgement that not all kinks come from a place of abuse or sexual oppression or sexual oh, 100%. shame. Oh, hundred percent. Yes. And so many people they think, oh, if you like these things, it's because you have something in your background, right? And mm -hmm. and I, I can unequivocally say, based on all of the stories that I've got, like for some people, it's just been there since they were young. Like, right. Uh, this curiosity, this interest, this it could have been triggered by a book or a movie, a book or a movie, mm -hmm. or it's just yeah. inherent, right? Right. Like, mm -hmm. And uh, one of the things we talk about uh, in a lot of conversations around, like the 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 age play thing, is you know if you look biologically at us like the the ways in which human evolution has us being attracted to people of a young fertile age right like that, mm -hmm. that they're like if you just look at humans as animals in evolution there's a there's an attraction that's supposed to be there in order to encourage attraction to encourage mating and, and all mm -hmm. of that right mm -hmm. we're, we're, we're still just animals we we forget that because we've you know got all this technological evolution around us that separates us from the animal kingdom, but we're still part of that ecosystem. Right. And it wasn't that long ago that we were really driven by that need. Mm -hmm. So it's still there, despite the societal imp impositions that say you can't think about someone as sexual until they're this age. Well, that's pretty fucking arbitrary. Right. Right. <laughs> And, and for some people, they can follow that and they can say, okay, I won't think about anyone as sexual until they're 18. And for other people, it's just there. Mm -hmm. They're 
it's just present for them. And, you know, it was my own journey through like accepting my enjoyment of the daddy kink space with people who were consensually of age for the, me to acknowledge like, yeah, that's there. I don't choose to act on it, but, but some of those desires exist and they exist for a lot of people on all spectrums of gender. We're attracted to people at different ages for different reasons. You know, we're right. attracted to older people because they provide this sense of security and you see them with knowledge. And, and then we shame them for being in aged gap relationships <laughs> when sometimes it's the younger person that's pursuing the older person. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And we immediately turn the older person into the predator for being interested in the younger person. And, right. Yeah. Wow. Why, yeah, why, right? why, why do we make that the problem as opposed to recognizing that a person is seeking something in this relationship. And if it's consensual and everyone is talking about their needs and, and people are being honest about the inherent power dynamics, right? If, the, if they're consensually engaging in something and being honest about what they can and can't provide, what is wrong with that? Right. Mm. Mm. And I think consent is a big, huge part, you know, the, the biggest part of, of, our lifestyle of any sex positive communities, it all boils down to consent. Yeah. And so I think that um, when watching your show and people get exposed to ideas that make them uncomfortable, mm -hmm. it allows them to open their mind and explore like, well, what is going back to the animal talk? That's, a, you know, there's documented um, cases of animals having multiple partners or you know having group mm -hmm. sex or you know bonobos and so you know a big part of it is the science of who we are and and i i agree with uh, especially with birth rates going lower and you know it's natural for the fertile women to get a lot of the attention it's been the you know the natural way that mm -hmm. that we've evolved as a society <laughs> Can I also point out that most of the animals that are mon that are monogamous are happen to be birds? Really? Really? Yeah, like penguins. Huh. Oh, okay. Yeah, but, but think about that. They have Dubs. smaller brains. <laughs> they have smaller brains. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> Drew. I I love I love where you're coming from with that. Yeah, dolph <laughs> dolphins who are most similar to us, they have, you know, just sex in their pods. Right. right. It's just a whole bunch of dolphins just swimming and having sex with each other. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think a big part of, of the lifestyle and, and opening up this idea of sex positivity is just the pure benefit of how, even if it's, you're doing it with yourself, even if it's self-masturbation of, of what it does for you mentally, uh, the stress relief, yeah, the, you know, the dopamine hit, the, all of the part, you know, all of the scientific parts of it that are the same with animals as they, you know, as it comes to us and humans and understanding that we're, <laughs> we're overcomplicating things. Right. We're, we're causing a detriment to ourselves mm -hmm. by shunning, you know, sex and, and by being not sex, you know, in Europe and in a lot of other places, even in sounds like Washington, which is right here in the United States. I thought Denver was pretty progressive, but those clubs and, you know, things that you were exposed to there seem like they were yeah. right oh man i think there should be some like in every state i mean the yeah, idea I mean... of some place that's safe that you can go and you can feel protected and explore your sexuality without having to go you know where do you learn that information from your friends are just as lost as you right your parents don't want to talk about it because it makes them uncomfortable and so where do you learn that 
right now that unfortunately for most people is Pornhub. Right. Yeah. The, the, really, the worst place that you could learn it. They at. should be going to Oh My God, Yes. Right. Right. Okay. If, if you're not familiar with them, Oh My God, Yes is probably one of the best places to learn about. Like, it's primarily centered around women's pleasure, but it's oh, really? it's a it's a godsend for people who want to learn more about genuinely listening to what their partner's needs are and being able to give them what they want. Interesting. Oh, oh my God, yes. Oh my God, yes. I, OMG, yes. OMG, yes. Yeah. Is that a local place or is it online? It's or? online. Yeah. Okay. OMG, yes, is, is online. Uh, and, and they're the subject of a, a number of like studies in sex and sexuality right now on how disseminating this information is beneficial to healthy sexuality and, and self-acceptance because it both helps with self-pleasure and helping uh, partners learn how to please their partner. Oh my gosh. So OMGS.com? Yeah. Okay. Oh my gosh. We uh, we appreciate you yes. giving any us so many resources. Like that's, that. that's been the, I, like I the primary it. thing I've been doing in this work is helping people connect to resources that they want to work with. Like uh, another <laughs> is we were just talking about self-pleasure. Uh, so Rewild Eros, uh, a gentleman named Victor Waring who used to be based here in Boulder is now in uh, Oregon is like the person I turn to when like talking about like helping people connect to their own self-pleasure. Wow. Okay. Like, people that have lost the ability to masturbate or, or, or enjoy sex and sexuality just in themselves. Like he's just done incredible work on it. Oh man. Wow. Um, uh, Victor Waring. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Thank yeah. You, you want so your resources? Yeah. I'll tell you everyone that has oh helped influence me throughout the decades because oh I haven't gosh. gotten here by myself. I have gotten here through the the generosity and the the conversations that I've had with colleagues um, around you know sex with people with disabilities. You know, Shanna Katz, who was used to be Denver based and is now a uh, an instructor at Michigan State University, probably has some of the most impactful you know perspective on what it is to be disabled and trying to be in a sex and sex positive environment where people are told you're not even supposed to be sexual because right? you're disabled, right? Like, right? like we're supposed to treat you as something who doesn't have any sexual desires because you're disabled. What the fuck? Yes. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, and you know, I think the community needs to hear more of these, you know, because a lot of people don't know where to turn when mm -hmm. something like this happens or when they're feeling some type of way and they're going, well, where do I look? Where do I? So we'll definitely get every resource that you can provide. And we'll post it on our website with that. Excellent. So we appreciate that. Thank you very much. It opens people's eyes on multiple levels too. And that's what really we're striving to do with this podcast. Right. Um, it, because it, it, there's political impacts. Like I don't think people realize how many disabled um, men and women utilize sex workers because right. they don't have other options. Mm -hmm. And so – you know, just having those, you know, when you think about it in that case, like that person still has needs, but doesn't feel like they can, you know, they can't drive, they can't go out, they can't meet new people. They feel like this is their only option to get those needs met. And yet it's still something that as a society, we have to, you know, be quiet about and, and, you know, it's illegal and we shame. Can't, yeah. There's stigma, a lot of shame and stigma know. around it when really it's all consensual. You know, there, there's an agreed upon, I'm going to give you this in exchange for this. And it, it's the oldest profession. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we talk about that a lot. And, and it, there's, there's this conversation around how much we commoditize pleasure while also villainizing it, right? We, we mm -hmm. demonized pleasure. We have sins against pleasure. And our, our religious community sins 
right? They, they, mm-hmm. they call out anything that makes you happy, which is interesting in a country that says life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness are, are inalienable rights. But actually, whatever we try to pursue that is focused on happiness, we're told you have to pay for or you can't have. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, and then this, this primary thing <clears throat> that is at the center of human happiness, sexuality, we're told you, you can only experience it in this container when you're married, when you, know, when, right. when, when you have a partner. Right? And, and so it, it's taken this fundamental human need, desire, mm-hmm. and said, you only get to experience it in this box. And anything outside of that is criminal. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, what are we doing? Like, how do we consider ourselves to be this, you know, this progressive first world country when there are other countries around the world that have, you know, or yeah, prostitution is illegal. Of course you can pay for sex. You're paying for sex anyway. Yeah. Right. One way or another. Yeah, it's, it's all, you know, you're in a transactional relationship whether you realize it or not. Right. That's what I tell her all the time. Right. <laughs> Everybody pays for sex one way or another. I love it. Oh, man, what a good way to put it. Well, we really appreciate you coming on today, T. Um, Let us, I'm going to take a pause real quick, Drew. We're going to run through our notes real quick and just make sure we haven't. Yeah, if there are questions you specifically wanted to ask from the show, yes, yes, yes. I mean, I'm just giving you guys a heads up. We are at the hour mark. Okay. Okay. Just, just thank you. There you go. So you took all of uh, the performances in, uh, from A Kink and a Cure and from all these different sources. What were your experiences um, directly in that? Like, which, which ones did you perform that you were like, oh, okay, you know, this one is mine. Oh, this one goodness. Is mine. Um, so I, I, there's, there's not one that was mine and ones that wasn't. One of the things that I've loved about it is I wanted to follow the, the model of vagina monologues Okay, in, in that you can watch Eve Enschler read the vagina monologues on stage. Mm-hmm. And yet most of the performances of it are these multicast five to 10 person groups of people mm-hmm. that are all taking on different parts of it. And so uh, my show followed suit. I- I've okay. had readings okay. that were five people. I've had uh, performances that were three people. Uh, Alina Gabash and I toured with it and took it to a couple of different colleges. And it was the two of us um, and I'm breaking it up. And so I've rewritten the script multiple times oh, in yeah. order to be for two, three, or five people. Okay. Um, okay. And it was my hope to take it to a point at which that could be given out to community colleges and 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 have other people perform it. Okay. And I actually just reached a barrier in my own knowledge of like how to where how to do that. Mm-hmm. Like how do I take it from this thing that I perform and turn it into something that is licensable and shareable for other organizations to perform on their own. Um, so if anyone happens to know what I should be doing, that would be a great resource for me. On uh, Every time I perform this, without fail, at least one person comes up to me and says, I wasn't prepared to see my story on stage. Wow. Right. Because of the way that I did the interviews and these composite things, there's so many different people's voices mm-hmm. that inevitably someone has a very resonant experience with at least one of the monologues. Oh, that I comes know. Out, you right? can, you, yeah, you went across a whole spectrum. Well, and, and your stats alone would prove that. Right. And so I, I, I wanted this to get out there for more people 
and I, I, I just don't know how to do it. You know, there, there are certain things we have knowledge in and my knowledge is in the like direct one-on-one -on -one with people, but marketing and producing this show, like it, it needs someone who knows how to take something like this and turn it into something larger. Mm -hmm. right. um, and I just haven't come across that person yet. Um, and I'm hoping that still happens. It will. Yeah, <laughs> I, it will. I believe it will. I believe yeah, it will. Even watching it in the format that we did, we obviously weren't live. It was back in 2019. Um, we just put it right up on our TV screen. And like I said, it it had a huge impact. Like I knew right away. And I think that with Me Too and so much that we've gone through in the past mm -hmm. few years, more people are willing to recognize their traumas and work through them versus you know, ignoring them, stuffing them. They never happened if I don't think about it. Right. And I think that's huge for everybody. Mental health in general is, has been at a decline since COVID. And it's just one more tool that people can use to, to have a, you know, to live a better life, to have better relationships with yeah. themselves, to have better relationships with their partners and, and to grow. And so I love that that it's there. And I think that if you made it accessible, like on YouTube or something like that, there's a lot of people that could watch it and benefit from it. So hopefully you figure out a good way to, to, to make that happen. Maybe open up a Patreon and people can, you know, pay to see it or, or even just sell it as a, as a course or something. Yeah. You or know? as a DVD or, yeah. you know, <laughs> before do you, now that, no, DVD. 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 Who buys a DVD? <laughs> Who buys a DVD? Oh, no, wait a second. <laughs> they still do, though. You'd be surprised. Yeah. There's like a lot of collectors oh, and, yeah. and albums that are still very popular. We don't even have a DVD player anymore. He goes, yes, we do. Boys have an Xbox. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. oh, okay. Oh, yeah, forget about that. <laughs> so I just set it up as a as a purchasable download yes. on the website. Yes, yes absolutely. absolutely. Digital download. There you go. And I even think that it's something that could be shared with other schools mm -hmm. um, in, you know, in sexuality courses or. Yeah. I mean, I performed it at a number of universities for groups like that and for like kink groups on campus. Uh, and I like the group that I'm most proud of performing it for was the um, Association of uh, Sex Educators, Counselors, and Therapists, ASECT, had their conference wow. here in Denver, and I was able to bring it to the ASECT conference and present it to all of these mental health therapists, which ended up connecting me with a lot of local mental health therapists who then would reach out to me when they had clients yes. who were like trying to deal with a certain level of kink or conflict or sexual shame in their therapeutic work, and they didn't feel qualified to help them with that particular thing. Right. It's outside wow. their knowledge base. So they would reach out to me and I would come in and help them as a specialist. Wow. Congratulations. So, thanks. You are doing, doing amazing work. And it's hard work because it's still, there's such a stigma around sex in general. And then you add that layer of kink or BDSM and it's, it just takes yeah. it even more. And so did you have any pushback from any of your peers? Um, I, I don't know about pushback from my peers, but there's, there's definitely a, just a, a professional challenge in trying to present yourself to the world as you know someone who essentially does sex work. Right. right. I, I've been a sex worker yeah. for years. The work that I do involves directly connecting with people in their sex and sexuality. And and that puts people off. Right. It's why I can't right be away. A, a licensed therapist. I'm not a licensed therapist or counselor. When I was researching all of this, I was like, okay, I can do all of the research into these therapeutic methods, but I can't get licensed as a therapist, even though I may have, you know, almost equal knowledge to what it takes to become one. 
Because if I'm licensed, I can't do this work. Interesting. Because sex work isn't legal. Right. Yes. You criminalize anything that actually engages one-on-one -on -one with another person. Right. So if I moved to Europe, I could be a sexual surrogate and do this work and, and it would be no big deal. But here in the U.S., mm. it all has to kind of happen at this under-the-radar level. Mm -hmm. Sexual surrogate. I love that. Right? <laughs> it's it's needed. It's yeah. a huge there's a it's, need for it. It's a it. huge industry in a lot of the the world. It's a, it's a, it's a it's a thing that is needed. Right. Well, hopefully hopefully as time progresses, you'll get those chains released and be able to do this on another level and and reach more people. Not have to move outside the United States for it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm happy to if you want to share the link with your viewers, even as a Absolutely. free download, I'm happy for them. So I give my consent, free download. So if I Thank choose you. to upload it for purchase for other people, your people can see it for free. Oh, oh I perfect. Thank you. you. Thank you very much. So Burning Man, you just got back from Burning <laughs> Man. So tell us a little bit about your experience there. Uh, this was a, a really magical burn uh, uh, because the, the weather really drove out all of the non-core burners. By the time we got to the weekend where burning, you know, the man was supposed to burn on Saturday, but we had had several days of flooding and it wasn't going to burn. Mm -hmm. And so everybody started leaving. And all of the, the, what we call the weekend warriors, the people that fly in like Friday and stay <laughs> for Friday night and Saturday and then fly out, they're, they're really just there for the party. Mm -hmm. They couldn't even get into the city. So when it came around to Monday and the man finally burned, it was a really small group. I would say probably around 20,000 people from wow. 80,000, which it normally is. And it felt like time traveling to what a burn must have been like 20 years ago. Oh, and wow. there were people just having sex in the fire. Because normally, you know, once the man burns down, a bunch of people get naked and they dance around the man. It's this kind of ritual thing. But when you do it, you're still confronted with all the frat boys drunken and having a big party and grabbing parts of the man to sell online and doing whatever they're doing. They're just... They, they're not there for the same reason. Mm -hmm. But this year, none of those people were there. So oh, it was man. just this incredibly intimate group of like the hardcore burners that came prepared to stay in the desert as long as it took for the man to burn. And they stayed there for several extra days and everybody else left fleeing the mud. And what was left was just this incredibly intimate gathering of burners. And so you just, it was, it was, it was fucking magic. Oh, I, I, I don't know that anyone will get to experience a burn like that in the near future. And I don't know that anyone has experienced it in a decade or more. Wow. Yeah, it was, it was incredible. Wow. So you described the burn as a social experiment. Yeah. The, I, I like to talk about Burning Man. Um, it's not, a, it's not an art festival. It's not a music festival. It is, it is the world's largest social experiment in how to do community better. Because what we're trying to do is come together and say, there's a way in which we can do this where people of all classes, whatever spectrum you're looking at, class, color, race, whatever, can come together and share art and drink together and eat together and have this adventure together without putting these barriers that are based on what you can afford to do because it's a gifting economy. So I'm mm -hmm. gifting things and anyone can come into my bar and have a drink. 
And, you know, I was part of the, the Spanky's wine bar this year. Spanky's is an <laughs> institution at Burning Man. They've been there for a long time. This was my first year with them. And, and they provide a safe kink space for people to come in and get buffer massaged and have a happy ending. And oh, you get, wow. You know, oh, wow. use car buffers. To, <laughs> and, and you go up to the bar and you roll the dice to get a drink. And maybe you need to take a spanking and you get to consent to that, of course. Right. But mm. you, you roll the dice and say, OK, I rolled the dice on getting a flaming enema. Oh, hey now. Right now. And the number of people that just like, they're like, this is Burning Man. Of course, I'm going to try this. Yes. Right. And then someone stands behind you with a long hose and a blowtorch and goes, and shoots a bottle. You know, you drop your pants and you get all the hair singed off your ass and you have a flaming enema. (laughs) And it's just, it's this beautiful collection of people that are all trying to meet each other as humans and let go of a lot of the trappings of the external world. And I love that part of it. And and because of this weather issue that we had, the people that were left there were the people that were there for that reason. And so like, I I spent one night just sitting in a bluegrass camp, just playing like live music. And these just world-class musicians are sitting there playing their mandolins and their guitars. And I pulled out my harmonica and they welcomed me to join them. And we just jammed playing music for three hours. Gosh. How amazing right. does that sound right? right now? It was just so great. It was so great. And we we're just talking philosophy and sharing about how beautiful this was and what an intimate experience it was because we didn't have all of the crazy people who were just there for the party. It was mm-hmm. just us. So, yeah, yeah, wow. And there's a lot of mini local burns that go on in different Yeah, Colorado cities. has Apogee. Um, Tennessee has To the Moon. Um Florida has Love Burn. Right? And you help with that one, right? I do. I help with Love Burn. I do uh, a greeter and consent education there at the gate. Um, and Love Burn's great because you can fly into Miami and go to the burn. So it's one of the most accessible burns uh, in the country. Uh, it's also one of the largest. And because it's in South Florida, it's really diverse. Yes. You this, you've got this strong Cuban black you know, population that is coming in and bringing culture into burns whereas you know in remote tennessee you don't necessarily have that there tennessee's got oh, a community centered wow. burn they do community like nobody else that i've seen um you know lakes of fire up in uh michigan it's great really really wonderful burn around a lake like they've all got their unique uh pockets of culture in different parts of the united states and because florida is so diverse you get this oh beautiful, wow diverse community of people that have come in there so. We've had a lot Do of friends you, that have gone to Love mm-hmm. Burn, and they they yeah. love it. Come to <laughs> love it, yeah. And it, it, Florida, and you know, uh, in February is yes. a great place. It's a great way to escape Colorado winters, right? Right. <laughs> Do you only help out with Love Burn, or do you help out around the nation as well? Um, uh, right now, it's just been Love Burn. I I have uh, been talking with the the Tennessee community about uh, being on their leadership team, and and that's been of interest. But I've also got. Yeah, I, I have to continue to make enough money in doing my own work. And so right. that's <laughs> kind of post-COVID is really me trying to figure out what I'm doing right? Okay. Uh, and, and kind of reinventing that. And so so if people uh, want to find you, where can they find you? They can find me at akinkinthecure.com. Okay. Um, and then on the, the other side, the other hat that I wear is uh, asimpletwist.com, which is where I do mediation and I use gamification to help people uh, I do personal coaching and, and use gamified knowledge, so game theory, to help people uh, kind of break through what they want to do or uh, bring groups together and help them communicate better through gamification. Oh, wonderful. Wow. Play okay. a board game together 
and it will show you how you communicate and then I break that apart. Interesting. Oh. All right, T. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for sharing where everybody can reach you. Mm -hmm. um, for you guys out there, make sure you check out his links below in the description and then make sure you you like this and share it because this can help so many people. And that's what our goal oh here gosh. is at right? Nagamish. So make sure you like and share, hit that subscribe button. Otherwise, we'll see you next time. Bye, Ishes.